Hello, and welcome to the High School Musical Show, where we talk about high school musicals, not high school musical. I'm the unfortunate background character wearing a bad period wig, Andy. <laughs> and I'm your gender-bent comedic lead, Megan. Megan, after one episode, I think we can officially describe ourselves as podcasting professionals. Absolutely. That's all it takes is just once. I think we've reinvented the game. Mm-hmm. I think we have subverted all expectations. Um, and I'm just, I think we should give ourselves a round of applause. Absolutely. Spiritually. Not mm-hmm. real. Yeah. Um, I'm giving you spirit fingers. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. We are uh, going to be talking about... I mean, uh, just juggernaut of high school musicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Megan, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the Disney theatrical Beauty and the Beast. Holy shit. Um, Beauty and the Beast, uh, as I'm sure you all know, is an adaptation of the 1991 animated musical film um, with music by Alan Menken, uh, lyrics by Howard Ashman and Tim Rice, and the book by Linda Wolverton. Wow. This is, you know, we are going to talk a lot about classic musicals on this show, and I'm really excited to get to them, but... This is a musical where I don't think there is a person alive who hasn't engaged with this show in Absolutely. some way. Yeah, for sure. Like this is it's it's one of those shows where you see the name and you immediately know what it is. You're like, oh, yeah, Beauty yeah. and the Beast. Of course, the yeah. Disney show. <laughs> <laughs> and like the first like huge th- there have been several Disney musicals now that have they made mm-hmm. waves but like this is the broad broadway adaptation that like really started the got the ball rolling right yeah well it was the very first disney theatrical wow it, it like this was the very first stage musical made by disney and it started the whole production company that is now disney theatricals which is a huge broadway and musical producing uh group so, Megan, do you want to hit me with a plot summary? I would love to. I've been thinking about this all day because I didn't write a short, pithy one uh, like I did last time. So we're going to go a little off the cuff because here's my thing. I highly doubt that anyone listening is um, not at least in some way familiar with the plot of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. So here we go. There's a hot guy who's also a prince, and he lives in a castle surrounded by people. And one day, a gross old woman shows up, and he was mean to her. But it turns out gross old woman is actually a hot witch. And hot witch (laughs) puts a curse on him. I have a name, Megan. (laughs) I have a name. And she's like, until someone can love you in this beastly form that I've turned you into, uh, and you have to get this done before all the petals on the rose drop, then you'll stay like this forever. So if you don't get someone to love you, you'll stay like this forever. Cut to... Frenchtown. This is Fahrenheit 451 for children. We hate people that read for no real hate reason. Them. We just don't Reading like smart people. Idiots. And Belle is hot and she's smart. So everyone hates her. And that's <laughs> the gist of like the beginning half of the show. Yeah. Uh, then there's like a, a dick boy who wants to marry her and she's like, no thanks. 
and she has a father who's like a quirky tinkerer. And one day he's going to bring his inventions to a fair and gets beset upon by wolves, taken in as prisoner by the beast. And Belle's like, I'm gonna go save him. And so she goes and takes his place and hijinks ensue with uh, inanimate objects that have come to life. Yeah. And uh, they fall in love. Dick Boy and his uh, crowd of angry mob come and attack them and as the beast is dying spoiler alert if i can spoil a 90s movie uh <laughs> bell brings him back to life with the power of love and they live happily ever after and then the french revolution begins and then the french revolution begins <laughs> yeah i mean it's a pretty i mean the uh, it's based on this like old french folk tale that has been around mm-hmm. for which is based on like an ancient greek myth like right. it is an old story i feel story. like most stories if you trace them back it comes to like ancient greece or yeah. like one of the old ancient societies and then we've just retold it 80 times but yeah beauty and the beast by disney wow what a juggernaut and i think in this it's gonna be hard in this because we have to both talk about the success of the animated film and the broadway show because i I mean, you can't separate the two. Right, absolutely. Um, If you have seen the animated movie, you have essentially seen the Broadway show. There are, like, like a couple, a handful of songs that are new to the Broadway show. And I think there are only a few that are really worth touching on. And I want to, I think for this one, we can have a more fluid conversation about the show in general. Since, I mean, there isn't anyone who really needs us to go through the plot. The only two songs that really stand out to me that are new that like add something really are home and if i can't love her um what what do you think megan the the biggest thing is that essentially all of the songs that were added the whole expansion of the show from animated show to live stage show is that we're fully fleshing out the characters more everybody right. gets more character development um Especially the side characters, the animated characters like uh, Lumiere and Babette and Mrs. Potts, the wardrobe, they all get more in Mm -hmm. both the book and the songs than they do in the film. Yeah. And Belle and the Beast really get more time to like feel out their feelings and go on a transformational journey. Yeah. In in the animated film... uh... Things that take place in, like, a look or a glance are turned into a song. Yes. Essentially. I would say The Beast, compared to the animated film where he's, like, a lot of what is going on inside of his head is not really told to us as an audience. Mm -hmm. I think he gets the most kind of revamping through, through the stage show. I agree. I think he's much more humanized mm-hmm. in the stage show. Like, I feel like as the audience, we jump on board faster with him and with their relationship because we're given more of a reason to. Yeah, he's also less, I think, he's less, like, um, rough in the stage yeah. show. Uh, partly because, I mean, the anim- the animators get to... Dis- draw him as like an actual monster and he gets to move like an animal in a way that like you you can't do on stage Mm -hmm. i i watched a lot of clips from productions and sure he's monstrous but he's still like relatively human and has to move like a human because underneath the makeup there is a human there um 
his big song, If I Can't Love Her. What, what do you feel about it, Megan? I just thought it was so beautiful. I think it's so pretty. And I feel like the song is a great example of Alan Menken loves a good key change for punch. Like, mm-hmm. you will hear it in so many of these climactic songs, like these big emotional songs where we go quiet in the beginning. And then we're going to crescendo and get louder. And then we're going to have this like small musical interlude for that actor to really feel their feelings on stage in front of us. And then we're going to key change to like ramp it up to a 10. (laughs) And it's like a a big show number with one actor on stage. And I feel like this song is the perfect example of it because it's the act one closer. Yeah. So like this song carries a lot of weight on its shoulders and this one actor on stage by themselves carries a lot of weight on their shoulders yeah and you have to follow be our guest which is a huge Ugh. song it's a huge yes. song both so production wise fun. and like music wise it's the fucking best i guess i don't know i it just doesn't do it for me i was listening to it today and like felt like a generic love song to me it didn't feel specific to what to what the beast is is going through Overall, like, I mean, as as the self-described musical theater hater, I really don't have much to complain about for this show. What I love about Disney movies, at least Disney movies from the Disney Renaissance, mm-hmm. they don't pretend to be anything other than what they are. Like, yes. they don't pretend to be, like, these overarching stories about humanity. It is just, like, this simple fairy tale, um, which I think is... is that simplicity really lends itself to um, flash and beauty and humanity. Yeah, absolutely. Both both the movies and the stage shows do this, but I feel like they do um, what I feel like Pixar will kind of become known for in a bit. But that idea of it's a kid's show, but there's a whole heck of a lot for adults in there, too. Yeah. Like, if you actually listen to the words in a lot of these songs, they're both very funny and very accurate uh, quips about humanity and our foibles. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very smart writing. And I think that is a perfect segue to talk about one of my personal heroes whose influence over, I would say, like, modern movie musicals and musicals in general can't be overstated the incomparable howard ashman um Mm -hmm. who kind of formed this dynamic duo with alan menken in the last episode we talked about rogers and hammerstein which i think totally dominated that golden age of musicals era and howard ashman and alan menken Although, obviously, not nearly as, like, classically iconic as Rodgers and Hammerstein, I I think their collaborations changed the game. Um, For film, for animated film, obviously, but 
in the, these adaptations into Broadway uh, have obviously impacted a lot there as well. Absolutely. And I think what's really unique about them, and they talk about it a little bit in like the process of making the animated film Beauty and the Beast, is they approached writing a movie musical as if they were writing a stage show. Right. So it's almost reverse engineering in a little way. Like this was a story that was originally written for like a theatrical performance, Mm -hmm. but they're making it into a movie. So it's not that much of a leap to then say, okay, let's make this a stage play because it's already really written in that format. And I think part of what that does is from approaching it as a musical as opposed to the way some like when you think of like uh, Snow White or Sleeping Beauty that has songs in it but I wouldn't really call it like a full musical in the same way is that kind of like we just talked about with Rodgers and Hammerstein it's that implementation of our songs are telling us about our characters they're moving our plot forward right they are actively being used to tell the story instead of just adding some nice sound right. to the story. If, if you know anything about Disney, you know that Howard Ashman was like a driving force, not only in the lyrics, but in the animation, the storytelling, um, the script. Um, can I tell you a little bit about Howard Ashman, Miss Pichot? Yes, please do. Um, so Ashman was this kid from Baltimore He went to Boston University and Goddard College uh, and then eventually earned his uh, master's degree in Indiana University in 1974 Um, and kind of initially began as an editor, but then uh, moved on to become an artistic director at the WPA Theater in New York. Uh, He met Alan Menken uh, at a workshop and uh, there... They just became fast friends and a a, a team that uh, churned out this little musical. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Megan. Um, little Shop of Horrors, mm-hmm. uh, which I can't wait until I, we will inevitably get to talk about. But I cannot wait a to great talk show. about it. Yeah. So much fun. Um, and they were approached by Disney to work on Oliver and Company, where they wrote a song there. Uh, and... While they were there, they were kind of pitched several ideas. And the one show that they uh, took and ran with was my favorite Disney princess movie of all time, The Little Mermaid, which Mm -hmm. began the Disney renaissance and changed the game for Disney animated film and created the Disney icon that we know today. Ashman's style, I mean, like you said, was really informed by his connections with Broadway. Uh, he, There are several interviews and uh, story meetings, actually, with him and the writers of Little Mermaid um, talking about why things needed to be a certain way. And um, he talks about the concept of like an I want song and mm-hmm. how integral that is to to a character arc yeah. and, and to a character in a musical specifically megan can you kind of like we both kind of know what that means but when i say an i want song what what does that kind of strike to you yeah so an i want song it's a kind of a category of songs that you're gonna find in most musicals and it's basically the song where your lead or your protagonist is gonna put forth 
what they want. Like, why are we going on this story? They are mm-hmm. going to tell us what their driving force is. I would say so this show is actually kind of interesting because it kind of has two. Like, it has I, a couple because the different characters get their own. Yeah. But like in The Little Mermaid, part of your world is mm-hmm. a really clear cut depiction of an I want song. She is singing about the not only the physical thing she wants, she wants to be on the human surface, but also the emotional thing she wants. Of She wants to be in a place where she can be understood and where she's not weird, which is a theme that Ashman incorporated into all, almost all of his lyrics. In, in Beauty and the Beast, Belle is consistently marginalized. I mean, for no reason. For no reason. <laughs> like, They're let's like, just... her head's always stuck in a book. Ugh, what a bitch. She... <laughs> like, oh my god. She's a literate French peasant. How dare she? Who doesn't want to marry this misogynist pig? I know. Gross. Gross. Who, who, she's the worst. <laughs> let's get pitchforks and murder. Yeah. Literally murder her. Um, I mean, it's a little bit of a stretch. But um, I think Ash- Ashman was, was gay and he mm-hmm. had AIDS and his songs and his lyrics are particularly for these emotional i want songs they're always about like i want the world to be able to see who i really am i want to be who i am meant to be and i want to be that with someone who understands um Mm -hmm. which i think is just so wonderful and 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 the antagonists are always we don't understand that person, so we mm-hmm. are going to, like, get rid of them. Yeah. And I feel like Home is a really good example of an I want song. Yeah. Because basically the premise of the whole song is that Belle feels that separation between her and everyone else. And so she's talking about, you know, like, obviously at this point she's trapped in the castle. So, like, literally her home is not there. Mm-hmm. But it's also this bigger feeling of not being understood of feeling alone of like feeling not at home with herself and the people around her is this home is this where i should learn to be happy never dream that a home could be dark and Every day in my childhood, even when we grow old, home will be where the heart is. Never home is a really interesting song because it's like, it's not a tearjerker, but it's also not like celebratory. It, 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 it. It strikes me as a little odd as uh, I I really enjoy it because of that. I think it's like a challenging kind of emotional song to pull off as an actress. What what do you think? Yeah, I think I think there's a lot there. I think what's what's really fun about the song. So we talk about like the different kinds of journeys that characters can go on. And so, you know, someone can go on a winning journey in a song where you start somewhere and you're like, I don't know if I can do this. And then at the end of the song, you're like, I've got it. I'm going to go save the people. Mm -hmm. You can have a losing journey where you're starting like, I'm the fucking best. And at the end of the song, you're like, oh, my God, everything's falling to shit. We're all going to die. Or you can have something 
It's called like a spiral journey. And the idea of a spiral journey is that you might start and end at seemingly the same place, but you still go on a journey. Right. And I feel like that's kind of what home is, at least to me, is that we're watching Belle in real time process her feelings and process all of these new things that just happened very quickly and she's trying to figure out what to do where to go next and it's a really like vulnerable moment for Mm -hmm. her and so i think it's an opportunity to really like humanize Belle on a deeper level because up until now we've pretty much only seen like uh she reads she's a bitch and now it gets to be like you know she's trying to figure out what to do who she is where she is what to do next where to go and i think that that's that's always a really cool moment in a show Mm -hmm. home also really nails home the point that like the show is about like breaking down emotional walls because Mm -hmm. bell literally seems like built high walls around me Mm -hmm. and like she's so used to the rejection of her town the song is really her like deciding to be lonely here and the show throughout the show it is a process of her and the beast breaking down those walls and deciding to like be vulnerable with each other um absolutely i but like speaking of Belle's isolation in her town (laughs) she consistently talks about how provincial her town is people are just doing people are just doing chores Belle. some of us have chores to do she's that girl that's growing up in like small town usa in the midwest and is like i can't wait to leave my shitty city and or shitty town and move to the big city where things will happen and you're like okay but some people like it here yeah some people are just living their lives we have to pay rent (laughs) bell like i'm sorry that it's not the most i'm sorry we can't all just spend our days reading books around flocks of sheep at a fountain yeah some of us have to work for a living bell has strong i'm the protagonist energy i mean she is the protagonist but like i just wanted her to be like listen girl some of us some of us are literal peasants some of us are literal peasants we are in pre-french revolution era you we have nothing so like i'm sorry yeah, that we're you not have the, the disposable most... income to spend on books yeah yeah i'm sorry sorry girl yeah overall i think the animated movie was obviously like a huge success and cultural moment for disney and mm. for the world as a whole the broadway show megan was kind of panned by critics when it first came out did you know that i did not know that yeah people the critics really really hated the show when it was first put on um most people just found it as like kind of like a heartless attempt to like cash grab what they saw as like a really obvious um musical like you said the the animated film it's really obvious that ashman and menken came from broadway yeah critics hated this show to to quote wikipedia it was a great spectacle but not great theater which fair (laughs) i think kind of fair i know what they mean and i know what you mean and i think it gets at the heart of kind of this interesting debate that happens in all art forms of this idea that something that is entertaining is inherently less valuable than what we consider to be high art. Right. And I will admit that, like, 
for a very long time, I was definitely of that where I was like, I would rather go see a play that like makes me cry or like hair is Mm -hmm. my favorite musical because it's beautiful and like really profound and poignant. Uh, But there's also this whole idea of like, it shouldn't have to be work. Yeah. Difficult. Like the idea is we're getting people to step away from their busy lives, their day jobs to come and see a show. And like, this is a great way to get the family together and to get, kids engaged in theater so i think that there can be something really valuable about like setting aside that i don't know i feel like we can get very hoity-toity in the theater about what we consider fine art i yeah i think joy is just as valid as like introspection yes and beauty and the beast is joyful i i i do kind of feel i relate to the criticism of like it is a live action Disneyland set. What is what was magical about the animated film, I don't necessarily think really translates as well. Obviously the songs do, but like the emotional feeling and the beauty of the animated film, I don't think really carries over to to the to the stage production, but also what I think probably set a lot of people on on edge, which you said, this was Disney produced this musical themselves when it first mm-hmm. came out. And I don't know if you know this about New York theater, but it's a relatively insular community. Um, they don't like it when you decide that you have a lot of money so you can come in and make something. Yeah. Which, honestly, like, that's badass of Disney. When, like, it is. Them being like, we have a way we're going to do this. We know we're going to do this right. Goodbye. Um, and now, Disney theatricals fucking huge they are one of the powerhouses of broadway producers yeah yeah i and i mean it's also a testament to the fact that like critics hated this but it is one of the most popular broadway shows that have ever gone on audiences love this audiences love this show it's so easy it's that thing of like you know if you have a bunch of tourists in new york you got a lot of families coming like what better show yeah. to take your kids to than to be like, let's go see Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, there's going to be immediate buy-in. In your mind, is there a bigger family musical? I don't know that I can compare individually, like, Disney musicals against each other, because I think that's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Disney theatricals definitely has, like... The corner the market, market yeah. on the family-friendly musical. Yeah. And we, I mean, we talked about Oklahoma. We're going to talk a lot about a lot of classical musicals that are quote-unquote family-friendly. But they're family-friendly because they were written and produced at a time where if you were sexual, you got shot. This is like an actual family musical. Overall, it is, the the animated movie has never been my favorite Disney film. I've never understood why this is, like, Disney's big hit. Um, See, I did love Beauty and the Beast. Well, that's because as a child, you are Belle. You are Right. Well, I think it's also just this idea of, like, we, also with, like, this, you know, renaissance of Disney musical and Disney movie, we also see a kind of shift in how we view our female protagonists Mm -hmm. like when you think of snow white or sleeping beauty a lot of things happen to them them. yeah they're not doing a whole lot (laughs) they're just kind of existing in circumstances 
And then they get saved by a guy. Yeah. This, but like, you know, this show's really cool. And you have a female character that is actively pursuing something who has her own plan for life and is very much like, I'm not going to do what you say just because you're telling me to. And like, she is the one who saves the guy at the end of the day, right? right? Like, she brings him back to life. That's really cool. I think as far as, like, role models for children, like, yeah. We're moving in a better direction. If yeah, you're going to yeah, be a yeah. Disney princess, Belle is not a bad one to model yourself after. And and we see this kind of archetype modified throughout the Disney period. Like, yeah. the Belle, I think, is the, like, showcase for, like, the 90s. Like, I'm a strong, independent woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I do need a man. Um and and we we will see that reiterated throughout oh for sure like disney's career but like as far as a stage show i do think that like i like that they lean into the pageantry of some of the, yeah. specifically be our guest be our guest is a huge oh, number it's so and fun. it is just this wild celebration of costuming and dance and it's a spectacle. I, like yeah. it is it is truly a spectacle. It's a show-stopping number. But I think that it like plays up the weaknesses of the animated film in the sense that like your guest is a show-stopping number, but like it really doesn't serve a lot of purpose in a storytelling way, you know? Like Yeah. It introduces us to all of the cutlery. Which, mm-hmm. by the way, everyone's cutlery, and that's fucking fierce. I, that's so fierce. Um, and some of the costumes in these shows, Jesus Christ, they like pop off with They're like so fun. This kid is a cup, and you guys are gonna fucking go wild. This woman is a fucking wardrobe, and you're gonna love it. Um, but it it it's it's. It's Disney pageantry, and that is really entertaining. But I do, like, totally understand the criticism that it's just kind of, like, empty. Yeah, I think that's very, very fair. Mm-hmm. How about we take a break, and then we will come back for part two. Let's do it. Yay. Welcome back. I hope you guys had a lovely intermission. Hope you guys had a nice potty break and got, you know, the wine from the booth. Have you been to a lot of theaters where they serve alcohol during intermission? Yes, I have. I love the concept of during intermission getting trashed and then deciding, you know what? Act two isn't as bad. I love that. (laughs) I've never been able to fully experience that, but I just love that concept. I've had like a drink at an intermission break for shows. But it always throws me a little bit off because, like, it just, theater feels a lot more aggressive to me, like a little drunk. Like, I feel like that barrier's gone a little bit, and I'm like, this is too much. Mm -hmm. You start shouting a little too much, start trying to participate a little too much. Oh, Um, I'm the opposite. I'm trying to disappear. (laughs) So, for this second half of the show, we talk about our high school productions of these musicals. And this week, it is none other than our own wonderful and lovely megan megan tell me everything about your protection of beauty and the beast oh it was so great so i i feel like since this is the first time i'm talking about my high school theater experience i'm gonna do a little bit like what you did and just kind of set the scene for you for what it was like tell me how your department ran right exactly so 
Fun thing about my high school is that I went to a private all-girls school. So that meant that our shows were almost entirely or entirely female, which is a real fun environment to work in. And I don't mean that ironically. Like, I mean that very genuinely. I loved it. Um, So we didn't have the same kind of regimented, like, class schedule or progression that I feel like, I don't know, I feel like maybe like east of the Mississippi, you guys like take it very seriously yeah. in your classwork. Yeah. Um, we had like freshman year, you would take a quarter of like theater appreciation. Uh, and then there was a musical theater class that you could take an acting class. I think sometimes there was like an acting tour, advanced acting. I could be wrong. And then there was sometimes a tech theater class that you could take. Uh, but that was like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't ta- like I didn't take a theater class until my second semester senior year. Jesus Christ! Yeah, I never took a theater class. Like I was, I and I took musical theater, of course. Um, but yeah, so mostly if you were doing theater, you were just learning by doing. You were you were doing, doing the, shows. the productions. Yeah. So we did a fall play. That was like, it was a cut show. Not everybody was going to make it in. Mm -hmm. A spring musical that was no cut. So like we've said, it means lots of bodies on stage in a popular show. And then we did like a later spring one act series where sometimes they were student written. Most of the time they were professionally written. And then like it was all student driven. So juniors and seniors would direct it and everyone would get to act. And it was really Mm -hmm. cool and fun. Um, So we did Beauty and the Beast. My junior year of high school and this was the first show that we did while I was in high school where I was like I have a character that I want to play so bad and like I am so prepared to come in and audition for this role and I really want it and I feel like I need to tell everyone that I think I somehow missed the Disney princess gene that everyone (laughs) else of our generation got we're like when I talk about the show with my roommate or friends, they're all like, oh, my God, it's my dream to be Belle. Or, like, people that are like, I want to be a Disney character performer. I want to be a princess at Disney World. I've never felt that way. Right. That's just, like, not my jam. Disney's great. I don't feel the strong desire to be a princess. So I <laughs> really fucking wanted to be Lumiere. I think he's cool What is fuck. wrong he's with so you? so much fun. No, that role was so much fun. That character is having like more fucking fun than anyone else on stage the whole show. They're so funny. That's who I want to be. And because it's an all-girls school, our like unofficial rule of thumb, no one ever said this, but this is 100% the rule, is if two people have to kiss, then we'll bring in a guy from an outside school. Ooh. If you don't have to kiss, then we'll just gender bend. So roles like Lumiere that you could probably, I would probably never get to play anywhere else, totally up for grabs. Doesn't he like... uh, Flirt with Babette? Yeah, Oh, fuck yeah. We flirt a lot, but we never kiss. So So I totally flirted with a girl on stage and it was super fun. By, when you gender bend stuff, you were were just referred to as he, him. You weren't, it wasn't like Lumiere was a woman now. Correct. Yes. So that's why like it's not totally gender bent. It's more just that we had women playing men's roles, like pants roles, like Shakespeare. Reverse Shakespeare. Right. Reverse Shakespeare. So I was still a male presenting character. It was just a female person inside of that. What are some standout memories? Were there songs that were... Tell me about Be Our Guest. Tell me about... Oh my god. 
Like, I feel like Be Our Guest is the number one reason to be Lumiere because you get to be the fucking ringleader mm-hmm. of that show. And it's just so fun and everyone loves you. And like, it, it's just, ugh. And there's so many good dance breaks. Like, you get to have solos and duets with so many people and these dance breaks. And I just remember the most fun moment of that song for me personally is there's that moment after that, like, first big chorus swells where the song gets really quiet and it's a very, like, you know, French, like, ha, ha, ha kind of like, moment. Oh, yeah. what's a servant where he's like, oh, Yeah, what's a servant who's not serving? And so lights were, like, down on me on my side of the stage so that I could just appear. And I was, like, up against the proscenium wall, like, arched back, hand on my forehead, like, oh my full dramatic arch. And before I could even sing, I got laughs and applause. And I was like, thank (laughs) you. I know how to work my physicality. This Mm -hmm. is how you do it. And it's just such a fun moment. And it was so overdramatic, like chewing the fucking scenery. But it's so fun. And then we had this big platform for Be Our Guest that would come out. So we got like, you know, that multi-level like tiered cake kind of scenery. And I got to be on, like, the very top with all the stuff going on behind me and around me. And I was like, this is the fucking best moment of my life. Did you, um, how was your accent? So I feel like my accent was pretty strong. At the time I was doing this, I was in French 4. Mm-hmm. So oh. I've been studying French. Yeah, I took five years of French. Yeah, and yeah. you have been so, to France before. I've been to France multiple times, yeah. And I had... Uh, at this point, I hadn't been there as an exchange student, mm-hmm. but like I would soon. So I I feel pretty confident in. We get my it. You're a method accent. actor. We get it. We get it. We get it. You're Meryl. So I was like it's helping fine. other people. Um, <laughs> no, but I also had like the best dialect coach. And when I wasn't sure how to say something, I would go dialect to my literal coach. French Jesus teacher. Christ. No, I would go to like my literal French teacher and oh. be like, "How do you? How would you say this mm-hmm. if you were French?" And she would tell me. So then I knew. And like that's the best. We got like one page handouts from our director, who I love dearly. She's oh amazing. God. Shannon Moore, if you're listening, I still love you. Um, we say hi to her at soccer games every time I'm home. <laughs> um, she's honestly a gem. Uh, and yeah, we got like these one page handouts where we were like mostly just teaching ourselves the dialect. Right. Which I feel like is how most high schools do. Yeah, yeah. And so I just felt very lucky that the, like, one time I was asked to do a dialect, like, I was very comfortable in what Mm -hmm. those sound substitutions were. Honestly, like, if you are thinking about choosing a show with accents for a high school, stop. (laughs) Don't do it. It's, no one's going to enjoy it. The audience isn't going to enjoy it. They're doing. Yeah. Um, tell me about the production. Was it just like a pretty, I mean, when I think of the stage version of Beauty and the Beast, I think of like the Rococo inspired costumes and all that jazz. What about, what about your you guys? So what was really cool is there had been another local, like local professional theater Mm. who had done Beauty and the Beast sometime in the recent vicinity of this show. And so we were able to borrow flats from them that we could have like on a rigging system so they could come in and out right so that when we were in like the provincial town and we were in the french village we had these really cool like cityscape flats that kind of layered three deep 
And so it it really felt like you were in this like cool little French place, and then that could all get pulled away oh, wow. to make space for other stuff. You little rich bitch. You just <laughs> We had a, a really like we had a really strong theater department. <laughs> Is it hard recording this podcast with that silver spoon in your mouth? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I we we also I, I think every high school probably has a relationship with like the community college or like the yeah. college theater department and when they have done a musical you've done before oh my god those costumes are always the best you're like oh my oh, gosh sure. something that fits something that's actually period appropriate yes. what yeah and we definitely got that like i had the um candles for hands mm-hmm. which was super fun where i just like held them and they it was kind of like a, a glove sheath that went over my wrist and then i was holding little bars on the insides and right. i could turn the wick of the candle on or off so i could mm-hmm. like light my hands and then turn them back off gotcha did you have uh, obviously you went to an all-girls school but did was there a showmance you were involved was, was there, there a showmance a andy there was not a single show where a boy was brought in that there wasn't oh, a yeah. showman you have to I should have under this I should have all-girls school of 800 girls and we had two boys for this production so <laughs> Gaston and the Beast where would were you both find them men. where would you so find they them they were usually like uh high school boys from just like other schools right and we would have them come in and audition um I think if I'm not mistaken I think our Gaston was actually like a freshman in college Jeez, that's sketchy that's sketchy but it was so funny because i I remember our theater teacher before they came in there was like a rehearsal or like a a company meeting that was just the girls and she's like look you guys i know how you are and i mean this in the most loving way he is an adult like yes a young adult but he's in college there will be none of that none of that i do not make him uncomfortable do not let him like if he makes you obviously there's always the safety talk and stuff like Mm -hmm. that but like you know don't pursue this he's not in high school oh my god i can see i can see the clipboard at the side I can see the crossed arms. I can see the oh tortoise shell glasses being pulled off and being uh, the pointed looks. Yes. I love that. Whenever female directors have to have a heart to heart about like, <laughs> like she, intercast emotion. <laughs> oh my God. She's the fucking best. Um, yeah, I believe our bell and our beast had a thing i could be wrong so if you're Mm -hmm. listening and you're like that was not true i'm very sorry to the people who played those roles i really feel like y'all had a thing for a bit but and and honestly you should reconnect you should you should try to make it work (laughs) um did you was was there any drama was there any like stress or or major stumbles (laughs) it's a little bit of a side tangent but come with me on this journey of how Megan got her first concussion. It was not at rehearsal. Uh, okay. So our school did this like fundraiser thing for a children's hospital. It's essentially like a glorified penny drive. And I, being the busy beaver that I always was, I was one of our co-chairs. And so it was part of my job to like help bring these really, really big, heavy glass jars filled with change down to like the bottom floor so we could take it to the bank and stuff. 
So I was taking this cart down by myself and I couldn't get it through the elevator shaft. And I was like, I know what I'll do. I'll get in front of the cart and pull it from the bottom because that makes sense so that it won't get stuck in this jam. Cut to me unconscious on the ground for a short period of time because these two large glass jars full of like extremely heavy amounts of change smacked me in the head and then my head hit the concrete and I like come to with this change all around me and I'm like I'm just gonna pick it up and keep going about my Megan (laughs) and it was like a Friday night I was like I'm fine guys I was like laughing about it and then Saturday I was like doing homework at home and fully like Pat, like just fell asleep while doing homework and my mom's like okay you're not okay we're going to a doctor and they're like yeah you have a concussion you need to stay home and this was in our push week so like the oh, week no. right before tech week when like shit is hitting the fan you cannot miss and our school like a lot of schools you can't do extracurriculars if you don't go to class mm-hmm but I couldn't go to class because I couldn't look at the light without dying. Mm-hmm. So I was home for most of push week oh. and then eventually made it back on like Thursday of that week with like sunglasses and a hat and yeah. a giant bottle of Advil. Like I will get through this school day to be in my school production. <laughs> and we were in rehearsals and we were moving in scenery that day. And I just started carrying in scenery. And I remember my director being like, Megan, you sit down in that chair and you do not move until you have to. Do not break yourself. So, yeah, I was a little fucked up our push week in the beginning of our mm. tech week before show. Jesus Christ. I... So not really drama, but like a little. Yeah. I would say I'm trying to think. <gasps> I've just remembered there was one show where there's this scene. It's towards the beginning of the show where it's like me uh lumiere cogsworth and the beast and we're all talking about it's like pre be our guest about like uh the the kind of things you should do to get her to like you you know how to behave your deportment and me and cogsworth come out on stage and we begin our lines and then there's the point where the beast is supposed to come in and he just doesn't and so it's me and Cogsworth on stage in front of hundreds of people in this performance, and he's not out there. And we start ad-libbing and improving, and brought the fucking house down. We were just bitching about being animated like a candlestick right. and a fucking clock. And so we're just bitching about life as animated objects and how much it sucks and what we <laughs> wish we could do again. <laughs> And apparently it worked. I feel like I kind of blacked out what happened on stage because mm-hmm. you're just in that panic moment of like, oh, my oh, God, sure. I have to say something. Let's just fucking talk. And yeah. I heard them laughing. So it must have been OK. Especially when you're like when you're 17 and you have to do that. It oh. feels like you are being held at gunpoint. It I'm... felt like eternity. I yeah. think it was like but it was like a solid minute. No where was he? He was not on stage. Where was he? He was talking to someone else backstage, oh, just like hanging out. And then, like one of our ASMs, our assistant stage managers was like running back, like, "Where the fuck is the beast? Yeah. He's supposed to be on stage now." I remember. I have a couple. I feel like every every high school theater person has a story like that one. Oh, I have yeah. a couple that we'll talk about when we get to those shows. But there is one notorious story at my high school during a production of. Footloose, I think it was. Uh-huh. There was a full scene 
where one guy was in it was just like a scene with the teenagers i've never seen footloose i don't fucking know um but it was just like a scene with all the main people chatting and one of the main people just wasn't on stage and he was in the men's dressing room and our dressing rooms in our high schools had speakers so you could hear the microphones in the speakers and so he started hearing the scene going on knowing that he was supposed to be on stage and he he he's half dressed because he would he just had to do a change or whatever and he was just taking his time um and so he's half naked he starts running onto the stage and starts whisper screaming fuck 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 <gasps> what he didn't realize was his that mic his mic was on his oh. mic was on because he was supposed to be on stage and so yep. the technical so it auto turns on and megan this was the night the superintendent decided to come <gasps> oh yeah. my god i i i was in eighth grade at this time so i was not at the high school so i don't fully know the impacts of this but legend has it that like our director just left the theater it was it was like early act two maybe end of act one yeah. she left the theater went to her office and just cried for the rest of the night that's like worst case scenario <laughs> yeah. yeah horrible 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 oh my god that's um crazy. i'm trying to think i feel like you were really well cast in this production if yeah in I, a i love like a, a comedic side character yeah. role i just think there's so much more i don't know I'm just always of the mind that I think there's more you can do with a supporting role or right. a smaller role because there's less expected use, but not in like in terms of what you can do, but there's less of a prescribed notion of who that character is. And there's more room for you to put yourself into it mm -hmm. and like discover new things. And so that's what I really like about right. that role and those roles is I felt like there was so much more room to play. I also feel like for a lot of the musicals we're going to talk about for this podcast, the protagonist is often like an audience surrogate or like they're just like the protagonist. They don't necessarily, yeah. they don't go to the extremes of emotion or character or all this jazz. Right. Um, because they, they have to stay relatively neutral and palatable. But yeah, they're more in a box because the audience needs to stay with them the whole time. So they right. can only go so far. Who who would you cast me as in the show? I think you could be a really fun LeFou. Really? Oh my god, you're homophobic. You are homophobic. <laughs> that's horrible. But that's such a good role. <sighs> LeFou is so funny. Did you did you see the um 2017 movie? I've seen clips. I have not seen the whole thing. They, like, made LeFou gay in that one in a way oh, that only 100%. Disney can make gay in the most offensive, stupid way. Um, I was going to say, audience at home, me and Megan are, like, the closest of friends. And we have we started musical theater professional acting school together. But we have never been in a production together. We've never worked mm -mm. together um, as actors or whatever. But I think... You as Lumiere, me as Cogsworth would be a <gasps> I would love that duo. I think that's where our talents could really shine. Because they have such good rapport. They're so yeah. fun. Yeah. I, I, I think one of my difficulties is just that I see you as just like so wonderful and like so protagonist-y that I'm like, yeah. why is she not Belle? She's beautiful. <laughs> Give it to her. Um <laughs> But I think I think you and I as Lumiere and uh, Cogsworth, or even swapped. Um, no, I'm too short. I'm short. I have to pay Cogsworth. Yeah. Yeah. 
so wrapping up, um, Beauty and the Beast. Is it a good show or a bad show? I think it's a good show. Yeah. And I think it's a good show for high schools particularly because I think it is a really, really great entry point to bringing a younger audience into the magic of theater. Mm -hmm. Like I remember at my school, like of course, whenever you did a Disney show, that was like the show that was going to sell out the house every night because like, of course, people will come see a Disney show. But we also did a really cool like you know, young girls would sign up for it was like one of our Saturday shows and they could like hang out with Belle before the show and like see the stage and like touch the props and like, Mm -hmm. you know, get to like be with the Disney princess. And it was like super cool. And there were just like all of these young girls that were so, so excited and they would come dressed up in their princess costumes. Oh my God. And it was just like the best thing to like see those kids after the show and get to talk to them. So, like, I think considering high school theater is also, like, it's for the community, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's for the school, but it's also for the community because that's who's going to come see it. Right. It's a great show to fill that need and that objective. Yeah. I agree. I think that, like, for Oklahoma or Sound of Music, for these, like, classic musicals, I think some people of our generation have engaged with them, obviously some more than others. But for the most part, those audiences are like the grandparents of the people coming in the show or like the the cousins or like just the, mm-hmm. there, there's an older audience. But when we're talking about our generation, I mean, like we said, everyone has engaged with Beauty and the Beast in some point in time. And I think it's just a, a really good way to like engage these people like you said like people who who probably have never engaged with musical theater before um yeah and i like think for a lot of young kids this is their first like touch point this is their first theater experience and what better way than to start them off with disney yeah what does this show tell us about high schools and high school theater why why is this so popular why is this continuing to be popular Amongst. It tells us that Disney is our corporate overlord who runs yeah. and rules everything. Honestly, like I, <laughs> you could put on anything Disney, any Disney show you put on, and it's gonna get sold out. I mean, that. Also, can we talk about how expensive it is for high schools to get the? Do you know how much do? it was for you? I want to say a number, but I'm not entirely sure if it's right. So, give me I'm number of sure digits. If... Give me number of digits. Five. Jesus, Megan. Since this was your show, what? What did this show teach you about musical theater? I feel like this is the show where I started to just kind of personally find that niche of like comedic supporting character mm-hmm. where I was like, this is really fun. This is something I really like to do. And so it definitely made me like, I don't know, I guess it just it taught me about the kind of play that you can have with a character. Right. Because I think there's a lot of room for it in this show, and especially with the role of Lumiere. So it taught me how to play on stage and just have fun. And it was my first, like, big lead role in a high school musical. So it was just, it was really exciting. It is so strange to go from me talking about almost dying in Oklahoma to Megan I know, and I had such a good experience. (laughs) I was thinking about that today. I was like, I just like don't. I mean, I guess my senior year musical, I did also have some like dark tragedy, but that was entirely of 
myself that had nothing to do with the show. And mine had everything to do with the show. Mine, my, oh God, we'll get into it throughout all of my episodes, but like, holy, it it just goes to show that God loves one of us and hates the other. And it goes to show the importance of having a good and supportive high school theater teacher. Tea. True tea. What, what, it makes all the difference. What did you say your high school theater teacher's name was again? Shannon Moore. She's still teaching there. If you get to take a class or work with her, she's amazing. You're very lucky. Shannon Moore, this, is, this one's for you. You're a gem. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the High School Musical Show. Me and Megan are just having the most fun putting it together. Uh, and we're just so happy that you guys are on the ride with us through time and space. You can follow this show on Instagram at a high school musical show. We will be posting uh, throwbacks to our productions. Megan, can we expect some photos of you holding candlesticks? A hundred percent. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Please share, review, subscribe to this podcast. Me and Megan do this because we love high school musicals. Well, kind of. Um, but we do this because we love reminiscing and celebrating things for what they are and we also love each other and we love you but i love megan more than you audience listener i need you to nine times out of ten depending on who is listening to this i love megan more than you if you die tomorrow audience listener i wouldn't care (laughs) (laughs) yeah here heard it here first folks yeah save this and play this back in court um Anything you want to add, Megan, to wrap us up? The end. Bye, guys. <laughs>